you know, a lot of people have made this statement like, wow, what an amazing change God has done in your life. And, and he did. I mean, it, it was a night and day difference. I, I mean, I was one of those guys. I had no character at all. And, you know, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm doing what's right. I went and got a job, being responsible and paying my tithe, things like that. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Well, hello and welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Adam with you and so glad to have you along for this journey on Testimony Tuesday, and we're so glad to welcome you back, uh, every listener. And this is our first attempt at doing a live recording for our premium subscribers. And I can see we already have one listening in our audience. I don't know who you are, but uh, if you can somehow give us a shout out in the chat, then we'd be happy to give you a shout out. And um, we are uh, we are supporting world evangelism with everything that we do here. Uh, on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. All of your premium subscriptions are going to Thursday Night World Evangelism, and that's pretty awesome. And so on this Testimony Tuesday, we are very excited to welcome in a dear friend and minister of the gospel, somebody who actually was in my wedding way back when, and uh, his name is Paul Alvarez. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, it's, it's not funny the... because I was thinking about you, and and I was like, I bet you he's going to mention that I was in his wedding. You know, I'm always kind of thinking about you a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> whether whether that's, that's uh, feelings of rage, anger, uh, forlorn, <laughs> somewhere in between. <laughs> oh, these words are too big for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um. It's awesome to have you, and I thank you for joining us on short notice. We uh, were recording this live, and uh, for our premium subscribers, as I mentioned, and so we had we had a guest all lined up for that who uh, unfortunately had to reschedule. So here you are uh, on last minute notice. So thank you, thank you for doing that. Absolutely, my pleasure. Yeah. So for those who don't know you, Mr. Alvarez, uh, why don't you give yourself a little five-minute uh, or less introduction conference style and tell us where you're at and uh, and what God has been doing recently. Oh, gosh. I get five minutes, not three. I like this already. The little flexibility. Uh, <laughs> we are um, – I'm Paul Alvarez, my wife, Deanna. We have got three kids, my son, Levi Madison, and Kinsley. And um, we are in Lima, Peru. We were launched – 2020. We arrived January 2021. And wow, I don't even know where to get started. Um, God is moving like crazy. 
I think most people would use the word revival. And uh, we're right in the midst of God just doing a lot of really, really fantastic things. So I've, I've been pastoring for nine years, c- coming up on 10 years, and uh, it's just been the most fruitful, the most exciting, the most successful times of my ministry. And all just within like the last six months, our church has been open for, <clears throat> I guess, seven months now. And I guess I'll start from the beginning. We opened up and immediately we had 25 people. And I think that that was the smallest service we ever had. And so I I had a translator. I witnessed to him in a taxi, spoke perfect English. I spoke no Spanish. When me and my family got here, we spoke no Spanish. And so, you know, anybody that spoke English, I just attacked them with the gospel. And um, so, you know, he, he just locked in right away. And so he, um, we were real nervous, weren't sure if, you know, he was going to help us translate, but I mean, the, the weekend before we opened our church, he's, he just started asking me, you know, should I wear a shirt and tie and, you know, things like that. So like, yeah, you know, he, he locked in and, and, um, he's been very, very loyal and, and a great blessing to us. But we opened our church. We only had Sunday morning services cause he, you know, he w- was just a new convert. We didn't want to put a ton of pressure on him. And um, within just three weeks, we had people in the church that were like, hey, are we going to do more church? And so I told him, hey, you know, what, what do we want to do? And so he had approached me and said, hey, if they want to do it, then I'll, I'll be available. Started having Wednesdays within three weeks. We were doing like a Bible study. And then um, I guess, gosh, like after a month and a half, maybe two months, we had people that really wanted to get involved. And I learned my lesson from my first church in Houston that, um, you know, you implement ministry standards right away. And so I told them, Hey, I'd love to have you help, but you know, this is what we do here. And, and they all just kind of looked at me cross-eyed, like, why would that be a problem? And so <laughs> like right off the bat, I mean, we were only open for a month and a half, two months, like I said, but they had enough of a testimony. <laughs> so I was like, sure, you know, we'll get you involved. And so we had uh, one family and a single guy all, all jump into ministry. And since then, um, we have just seen crazy, crazy growth visitors. I don't think that there's ever been a Sunday that we didn't have visitors. And it's extremely rare that we don't have visitors even on a Wednesday. We even get visitors during our song service practice. We've had three visitors during our song service practice come in and then end up in church. And um, one of them, a family, they're still in the church. And so it's like everything we do works. Everything, you know, we had kind of a good handful of women in the beginning. And I started praying, God, we need more men. God just started bringing in more men. I said, we need more young people. God started bringing in young people. So uh, last Sunday, we had 56 people. Um, Our Sunday evenings are normally in the 40s. Our Wednesdays are in the 40s. Uh, full, like I said, full song service. Like we have this amazing drummer. He's like, like one of my best disciples. We have three, what I would call disciples, a bunch of other men who are pretty faithful to things. Um, one of my disciples came to, he comes to pray with me every morning. A couple of other guys will just kind of poke their head in, but I've got one guy that comes with me every morning. Got filled with the Holy Ghost during prayer. Um, got like, I could just sit here and tell you all kinds of cool stories. A lot of fun. I, I mean, we're just having a blast. That's amazing. So. But God is moving like crazy. Yeah, we ran out of space. And so I did, you know, one one of those uh, 
called Pastor Campbell and he pulled the trigger really quick. He rolled the dice really like big time because we we I started praying, God, we need that second floor for the kids. Or that we're on the second, we needed the third floor. And I started praying, God, just do a miracle. There was a gym up there. And I'm telling you, it was like just this crazy miracle. All of a sudden the gym left. <laughs> and I was like, what are the chances? Within weeks, like two weeks after starting to pray, the gym left. And I asked the, the landlord, is it available? He said, yeah. Talked to pastor, he said, do it. And so the next service, we or the, before the next service, we signed a lease. And I preached this sermon about tearing down walls. <laughs> I pulled out a hammer, started smashing the wall right in the middle of service. That was <laughs> pretty fun. And, uh, that and is within awesome. three days, we pulled all the walls down and then opened up the third floor for the kids. And we have tons of space. And it was just perfect because, like I said, we had, we had 56 and we just kind of fit in there. Sm- we got room. We could probably fit 80 people in there comfortably without the, with kids. And so if we're able to get our children's ministry going pretty pretty well, we'll be able to fit probably a good 100, 100 people, probably 80 adults in there and kids upstairs. And so, yeah. God that is, is awesome, that is man. So, I'm having a blast right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so encouraging, man. Well, that that's great to hear. Yeah. And it's even greater to hear with the knowledge that we're going to come join you in a couple of months. Oh my goodness. I'm excited. I know. Oh my gosh. And the people, they already know you guys are coming. They're like, when I told them, cause you guys, so this is what's going to happen. You guys are going to come though. So that we're having the conference, the Peruvian conference, the very next week, you guys are coming for a week. And the very next week, Ed Tejero from Spring Lake is bringing, I think. Oh my goodness. People, I think with them. <laughs> so, that is holy ghost we're gonna be yeah i said we're gonna be tired but (laughs) you can tell everyone in the church i've already got one guy said i'm gonna take the week off and so we're gonna we've got these we're right next to a market we're right next to a park we don't have to go anywhere to outreach we just go one block down the street and we can uh, it's the park isn't quite open yet because there's this whole amphitheater that they just built it's like they they um, they just god was putting all this together for us and so We'll be able to do music. I'm Imagine that. Be open by and uh, yeah, I'm I'm assuming it's going to be so. But uh, yeah, we can wow. do music on the streets, and I've got I've got all the equipment, so we're 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 gonna have a blast. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm so excited. So, I think we have uh, yeah. I think we have ten people on our list. Uh, we're getting ready to buy tickets here pretty oh. quick. Oh yeah, and it, it's it, you're gonna have fun. This place is insane. It's a little crazy. So, yeah, uh, we'll have to go through the guidelines of what to bring and what not to bring. So, yeah. <laughs> well, how exciting, man. I can't wait. I can't wait. And uh, I'm sure just by just by hearing what you've said so far, you've already encouraged a few people. So we appreciate that amazing report. Lima, Peru, man, is on fire. Is there is there any room left for other churches in the city of Lima? Oh, my God. Oh my gosh. I am like totally pulling on everybody that I can. And I, I don't know. I like, I can't say it with any more confidence. This place is fertile and ready. Like I'm telling you, we can put so many churches in this city. I, you know, I don't know really about the other cities, but I, cause I'm here. I know about Lima. Yeah. There are yeah. so many areas we can put churches and I'm, I'm pulling on pastor a lot and, and just, I'm really hoping that at least at our, our conference, we just watched the, the El Paso conference and I'm sitting there just, Oh God, put another, you know, couple couples in here. And so I don't, I don't know that anybody quite knows about Peru, but it's, 
when you look at the city, the history, it's kind of like how in the world? I mean, honestly, South America, I think as a whole, yeah, is just untouched, wide open. And I don't know. I think there's a stick, maybe a stigma. You know, when I say Colombia, what do you think? And probably drugs coffee. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, they do have very good coffee. But um, yeah, man, it this place we need a good ten more. So yeah. That'd be wonderful. Well, hopefully somebody who hears this interview will be inspired. My, that that is that's really my dream from this podcast is that somebody would hear an interview like this and say God inspired me to go. So I promise that I promise <laughs> that I promise you will be. Well, yeah, this place is is fruitful. It's fertile. It's ready. So Amen. Amen. I can't wait, man. Can't wait to see what God is going to do in the next coming weeks and months and years to come. What a blessing. That's good. Yeah, so be awesome. we uh, we've got to hear the beginning of this story because uh, you know just just by hearing what God has done the last year doesn't tell the whole story, and so uh, for for uh, I, I kind of feel I kind of feel weird doing this because I know you pretty well. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> we, we've got some history, but uh, but a lot yeah. of people who don't who don't know you well, um, I'd, I'd like for you to kind of share your background and uh, how you grew up. Uh, I know Pastor. For those who don't know, Pastor Bob Alvarez is your dad, and so you got to you got to see what pioneering and all that was like from an early age. But why don't you tell us what your family life was like growing up? Um, my family life was really really good. Um, yeah, my my dad's a pastor, and so he he raised us real well. He was uh, my dad's really hardworking. And, um, so we, we didn't grow up with very much money, you know, we were pioneering a lot. And so my dad always did construction. Um, but I think that kind of made our family really close, you know, but you know, we, we didn't eat in a lot of restaurants. We didn't have a lot of money to do extracurricular things. And so just as a family, we were always together and we were always following up on people, constantly having fellowships at the house. I mean, every night we had dinner at the table and had conversation. We all had this the same seat that we sat in and, and we played board games. I mean, it just, my parents were very, very good parents. And um, my mom was a very, very good example of a, of a submissive wife. My father was a good example of, of um, authority and headship. And, and so we, we traveled a lot. Um, I went to 14 different schools growing up. Wow. And, um, yeah, that and is... didn't finish high school. I was supposed to go to another one, <laughs> but uh, that's a different story. Um, so I, I, kind of a lot of those things helped to form and shape um, me mm-hmm. kind of in, in the character that I had, like um, having to always being the new kid in school and moving around. And I didn't really have a lot of friends growing up just because we were always pioneering somewhere, starting over. You know, the first question we asked when we would move somewhere new was, does the neighborhood have kids? And the answer most of the time was no. So uh, because of that, I I was sort of close to my dad. Yeah. Any moment that I could, you know, follow him around and tag along. So I was constantly tag along. And my dad uh, is very good at discipling men, and so I think he he was always putting things in me and constantly. What? I loved it. I w- we would drive. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask which uh, which cities do you think left left the biggest impression on you as you were moving around the country? 
I don't know. I mean, I, they're all kind of the same. It, it's kind of a blur. Um, there, well, I had there were things that sort of shaped me and my view of of the ministry. That I think there were just points in each church that that um, kind of reference points that I can look back. I don't think that one necessarily was. Uh, bigger than the other, but there were just certain things that I kind of learned in each city and um, kind of an overall view of ministry and pioneering. That, that do you, do you remember of, going to Havelock? Some, some good. <clears throat> I so when we went to Havelock, I was two and a half, so I have some memories of it, but no, yeah. no, I I just have memories of playing and things like that. So, but Colleen was amazing. Yeah, you know, I was four or five, coming up on six years old there, and I have tons of memories of. You know, my, my, just the crazy, uh, there was like revival happening. And so that was a lot of fun to watch, but obviously being that young, I don't recall quite, you know, what was going on. It just, it was all amazing to watch all the events, the, all the converts, all the fellowships. And so do you, do you have any sense of, uh, of, well, cause, cause your dad was so instrumental in like the foundation of the Chandler church and planting so many of these other churches around Jacksonville and Havelock and Colleen and several others. I'm sure we could mention, I mean, do you have any sense of connection to, to see what, you know, what God has continued to do in those places? Not really. Um, like Colleen, I, so Colleen was one that Tons of the men, tons of the converts that were there when I was a little boy, they're still there. And so they remember me as being, you know, the little, little, uh, you know, rug rat running around the church. Um, and so when I pioneered in Houston, I was in and out of Colleen quite a bit. Every year we'd go to the, um, to the rally or the, the harvesters homecoming there. And so tons of the people, you know, they, they remember me and I remember them and we have fun stories and stuff like that but um yeah that that's probably the only one okay okay well that's interesting to me so uh so man you you got to see the the highs and the lows and the hills and the valleys and the ups and the downs um <clears throat> what it sounds like your family was pretty stable through all of that but um you know what what did that tell you is it, it did you have a dream of like going into the ministry from early age uh, no. So it was kind of weird. Um, so I remember, uh, I, I mentioned this quite a bit when I preach. Um, but when I was probably about five or six, when I lived in Colleen, I, I, some people might think this was strange, but when I was young, I would go in the bathroom or, or sometimes just in my room or, but ma mainly like I'd, I'd be in the bathroom looking in the mirror. And I would go in there and just kind of look at myself and wonder, like, why did God make me? And I would ask myself, and I imagine I'm like five, six years old, and I would just ask myself, like, and I'd look in the mirror and kind of think, like, who who really is this guy? And what, what why did God make me? Why did God give me my parents? And so and my parents always instilled a lot into me about just appreciating the fellowship, appreciating uh, being an American, you can see that I'm I'm very Rocket. patriotic and and yeah, and I I I love America and um, 
I, I was just always grateful for those things. And I was grateful that I had good parents. And I always felt just a sense of responsibility that, that it's not fair that I was raised that way. It's not fair that I was American, could have been born anywhere. Sure. And so then I just felt more of a responsibility. And then just as I would hear preaching, just the idea that it's like to those who are given much, much is required or to know to do good and not do it. It's a sin. And so I just almost and, and even to this day, I feel an obligation that that it was like I, I need to share this gospel. It's not fair that I was given so much. Actually, Pastor Greg just preached a masterpiece uh, Thursday night. Last, last night at um, the El Paso conference, everyone needs to go listen to that. It was a masterpiece, but it kind of describes what I'm talking about. He he talks about the feeding of the 5,000 and just how there, you know, there's these back row people and he's like, and unfortunately all these front row people are getting fed over and over and over and over like in America, you know, it's, and so I've always felt bad, felt terrible. And so my, I never felt God like touch me didn't have a vision didn't have a dream didn't have some sort of like moment at an altar call it was just since i was a little boy i felt a responsibility that, that this is what i needed to do and so that was developed to be honest watching my dad pioneer made me kind of not want to do it and so as i as i became a teenager you you know between the age of 16 and 19 i, I wasn't living for god and um Obviously, you you were very instrumental in, in bringing me back into the church, but it was like I knew right away if I do this, if I if I get back in the church and really commit myself, it's not just oh I'm going to be a Christian, I'm just going to attend the church. Like I've got to, I've got to go and pursue destiny. And yeah, so, isn't that uh, <clears throat> maybe you would agree and tell me if you don't, but. What I have seen from a lot of church kids and, you know, after having been in the teen ministry there in Chandler for a little while and watching a lot of those teenagers grow up, that, that's pretty common with a lot of them. And what that is, what, what I mean by that is those who, uh, it, it's not that a lot of people are moderate in the middle. They're either all the way all in for Jesus or they're totally backslidden yeah. in the world. And especially those who grow up in our fellowship, it's like, you know, what's right, you know, what's true. And so if you're going to go in, you, you got to go in all the way. And otherwise, yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. 
And finally, every dollar we raise goes to World Evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. I mean, you know how it is anyways, being being on the fence, being indecisive, you, you know, it. it's going to be a hard to be a Christian whether you're a church kid or not. And so, you know, either you're you're all in sort of anyways. And so and we I think most church kids know, OK, if, I, if I'm going to do this, I can't do it half hearted. And, it, and yeah. it's kind of rare. That was the issue that I had when I was you remember when I was when I was 16 was when I started going through my my little phase and but I would always come back and that's I, I think kind of why you and a couple of the other men were like always kind of trying to grab on me because you saw there's something you know because I'd come back and and mark my words it was like I would do well for three months it was always three months but I wouldn't give up my friends I would still kind of be tiptoeing and what made me finally commit was um Actually, specifically, I remember like it was yesterday. I walked into the foyer in Chandler, and to the right is the sanctuary, and to the left is the prayer room. And I remember I was there on time for prayer. You, you, you know, you were someone that was always pulling on me. I don't know if you remember this, but you used to wake me up when I first got saved. You'd wake me up and make me come to prayer in the morning at like five in the morning. Like, what a jerk! I, even, oh I was my like, gosh. I, and I was like halfway <laughs> saved. You know, I wasn't even. I, you know, but I remember like it was yesterday. I walked in the foyer and I thought, Am I going to take a right and go into the sanctuary and goof off like I used to? Or am I going to go to the left and go in the prayer room and begin to build a prayer life? And I made that choice. I walked in there, and the feeling that I had when I walked in that prayer room, I, like I, it, you know, it almost gives me goosebumps thinking about it. It was like I'm going to be a man of God. Like I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. I have to, I have to do this. And so, um, yeah, it was like it, somewhere, you know, I had to go all in, and, and the rest is kind of history. So yeah. So you mentioned that, that that happened while you were in Chandler. So there there was a time that your family had, had uh, come off of the, the field and come back to Chandler for a time. Um, how, how old were you when that happened? Uh, 12? Yeah. 12 or 13, close to 13, somewhere around that. Because I think I met you when I was around 13, I think. Yeah. Um, you and you and Shannon, my sister, were like 17-ish around there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So your older sister and my wife were really good friends growing up for the for the audience who's trying to figure all of that connection out. So they had spent quite yeah. a bit of time together. So that means, you know, uh, that means uh, I was close enough to your family to have been drooled on by your dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we we spent a lot of time together. You were like the big brother I never had. Except <laughs> but that you, I had a big brother. You do have a big brother. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, talk talk about the time that you um, that you spent not doing right, and obviously we want to come back to how you did get right. But you know, the reason we kind of go through these times of our lives is because there's there's people who are going to hear this um, that knowing that you're a pastor, that you're a missionary, that you're experiencing revival, and but to realize that you know 
pastors are human beings too, and that it gives hope to people. But can you can you uh, talk about <coughs> kind of what pulled you away from the will of God for that time? Um, I think like anything, there's a kind of a series of events, but maybe I can mention this was, um, my, my parents, when I was maybe a close nine, close to nine years old, we had come back for redirection for a time, uh, like 91 to 94 or so. And then they got launched into Coolidge. Uh, Coolidge wasn't, wasn't that they took over a small church. Not, not a lot happened. Then we went to Michigan, took over a church, and it there was things had kind of started moving. They were they were going well, but then Pastor asked them to pioneer in Jacksonville, Florida, and nothing happened. It was it was a pretty bad situation. We had basically one convert. I think we were there almost two years, and we had like one lady and her two sons, and she wasn't even real real faithful and. So um, my parents ministerially, I guess, or just um, spiritually, weren't weren't real excited, you know, weren't real encouraged. It was kind of a uh, just a real barren time. So we came back in I think '97 ish, and so I was 12, 13 years old, and my parents really disengaged. They were very discouraged because things didn't really go well for those few years on the on the field and my dad like he'll he'll preach about this kind of black hole period he has a really good sermon about it um and so just in regard to ministry there was kind of this black hole experience well that was a really crucial time in my life i just turned 13 14 i'm starting to go to junior high i'm starting to go to high school like i had said that sort of shaped my view on the ministry that yeah. I wasn't real interested. I didn't, you know, my dad was always trying for miracles. He was always, I wasn't seeing a lot of miracles. And so it was just kind of like, gosh, what am I, what am I believing in? I don't know what I believe in. I don't know if any of this is true. And um, well, my parents weren't doing real well spiritually. And so they sort of let me have more freedom than I should have. Mm. And they themselves were just dealing with their own spirituality. And so um, I, I guess I just wasn't being covered real well and or maybe just not a lot of attention was being being placed on me. Now, my parents were good parents. And like I said, we still had dinner at home. My dad spent time with me. We'd go to baseball games, things like that. But he wasn't necessarily speaking into my life spiritually or um he even admits there was times where it's just like we'd go to a Wednesday service and and if you know Pastor Campbell wasn't there, it's like, ah, let's just go home. Well, I saw that, you know, I'm a fourteen year old boy and I thought, Oh, yeah, I guess church isn't important anymore. And so anyways, yeah, I got I got real distracted. Um typical things that I think every young church kid wants. They see all their friends having fun. Um you know, you're enticed even to smoke cigarettes, which is just dumb, even in the natural. Um, and so I, I had friends and I was kind of a funny class count kind of kid. And I had friends that sort of liked me a little bit. And so they'd pull on me and say, let's go to this party. And so I was pretty good for the most part because I was pretty innocent and got my driver's license. And it was all downhill from there. My parents gave me a curfew of one o'clock. 
for a 16-year-old boy. They would ask me where I was, and I was a very, very, very good liar. Very good, because <laughs> I'm a church kid. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, and there were a lot of, I could tell you some good, fun stories about my parents, you know, trying to catch me, but they caught me doing things they, that I shouldn't have, and I got sort of some slaps on the wrist. Other times, you know, I got I got some good punishment, but I I just bided my time and, and waited until, okay, the punishment will be over, and I'm going to go back out with my friends, and they just kind of kept letting me do it. And so next thing you know, I just, I want to smoke weed. I want to drink. I want to party. This is a lot of fun. And, and obviously sin for a season was. And so my parents would kick me out, which I'm very happy that they did. And I will argue forever that parents need to do that. Um, I'm going to say something as a testimony. All of the church kid friends of mine whose parents wouldn't kick them out aren't serving God today. And I am. And they made a stand and they said, if you're going to do that, you're not going to live with us. And they kicked me out of the house. And if you're going to do what exactly? What was the stipulation? Smokes. If you're going to smoke weed, if you're not going to obey our rules, if you're not going to go to church, if you're going to, you know, anything, you're going to go to church with us. And um, yeah. And, And this was about the time that my parents started to do better. My dad had actually um, gotten back into ministry, and they were very faithful. My dad was highly involved in ministry, my mom. And uh, this is just right before my dad actually was about to start um, evangelizing again. And so, um, yeah, they kicked me out, and I suffered. And I was like the prodigal son. I I found myself eating slop, which I know my dad was praying, Oh, God, Mm -hmm. make Paul eat slop. And I ate slop, and luckily I remember all the preaching. And the thing about it, I, you know, I lived in such fear of dying in my sin. And mm. and yet there were times I did some pretty insane things and thought, oh, gosh, you God had so much mercy because he could have just said, nah, I'm done, and squished right. me like a little ant. And um, I remember specifically one time being in the backseat, and I was drunk. And I put the middle lap belt on, and then I reached over to the right side, and I pulled that cross belt over. And then I went to the left side and pulled that cross. I'm wearing five seatbelts, or three three seatbelts, you know. And, <laughs> and I remember saying, God, please don't let me die. There's a guy <laughs> driving was drunk, and all of us were drunk. And why I didn't die is because God had people in Peru he wanted to save. So, but, um, yeah, God had a lot of mercy. Yeah. So, but like I said, I would I would come in, I'd do well, you know, guys like you or uh, Junior Morales or some of the other guys, they'd pull me in, I'd do well, I wouldn't give up my friends, and I'd go back out into the world. And then finally, uh, autumn of 2004, you just really, really started pulling on me, like big time. And to be, I mean, I, I'm very grateful for it, but at the moment, it was just like, gosh, would you leave me alone? Like, And I loved you. You know, and I, I always liked you, but I just knew we were, I, I'm living this way, you're living that way, where I, I know that our lifestyles aren't compatible, but you just kept pulling on me. And it was the Holy Ghost, man, because I, I just remember those times, like, um, you know, getting drunk and just sitting there crying and praying to God. And, and, and it's like the next day you'd reach out to me and, mm. 
And so when you pulled on me and pulled me back into church and saved my soul, and I'm very, very grateful, extremely grateful. Well, I didn't save anybody. I just brought you to the one who could. No, but, you, but it wasn't I just know, me. I, there was there's prayers of your parents and pastors and other people all along the way. I'm grateful for the the part that I played, and I appreciate that. But uh, you know, looking back on it, I don't think I was treating you any differently than than I was treating anybody else at the time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't yeah, think of it yeah, like yeah. I I didn't have this special mission mentality for Paul Alvarez. I was just like. Yeah, you were one of the guys that I was that uh, of the twenty yeah, other people. Yeah, <laughs> so you were yeah, just yeah. the one out of the the crowd that actually responded. So you know, I'm, I'm, as you're talking about <laughs> as I as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about people here in Virginia Beach that you know for the last five or ten years that I've been consistently calling and praying for and believing God for, and like you know, you never know when when the time will come that that. that you know that that switch actually happens so be encouraged yeah. sometimes I mean, it works yeah <laughs> yeah it was three years three years of just i was a bad bad convert but yeah so <clears throat> talk about your salvation experience and how is it that you know your life was changed hmm. yeah i mean it like um it was so my my salvation kind of in the beginning was yeah it wasn't like I went to the altar and got up um, you know delivered from everything I like it was very very hard for me to quit smoking weed stop drinking I did still kind of go to a couple parties believe it or not there was one <coughs> one time I I, I just wasn't really doing well because I, I was real faithful to go to church and things like that. But I don't remember. Just a couple months in, maybe it was a couple months in, and um, on a Friday night I was supposed to be a Bible study, your Bible study, and I skipped. Mm. I never told you this, but I went to a friend's house and, and I smoked weed, and you were calling me, <laughs> and I remember looking at my phone like. Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> but it was like that for a few months. I I think I had I had prayed maybe in September of 2004, and then um, September, October, November were pretty rough. I had to go to jail for for three weeks because um I had had a warrant for a fight I was in, mm. and um so being saved, I was like, okay, I need to take care of this. So I went to jail, and then even even New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve of 2004. I went out to a bunch of parties. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything, but it was like, uh, I just wanted to be with my friends. And then it was like, just being a typical new convert, I was like, okay, New Year's Eve, I'm New Year's, I'm going to start doing right. And 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 surprisingly, I did actually. I, I went ahead and like, okay, I need to cut everybody off. But those first few months, it was like, I was coming to church, I was making really good choices, but then every once in a while, I'd kind of be where I shouldn't be. And, and it, that's probably what helped kind of the the light bulb to go off is like, you know what? I feel so much better when I'm with the guys at the church. My spirit feels clean. My my conscience feels clean. And I'd still go out and I wouldn't partake like it's, you know, I wouldn't be out there drinking and stuff. But it was like I'd be in the atmosphere and just be looking at everybody sober. 
Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> go to a party, you're drunk, you're high, everything seems great. But go when you're sober and you realize <laughs> these guys are all idiots. Yeah. And you think this is this is how I used to act. And you know, and you just see how fake everybody is and just the the, re- the reality of sin. Yeah. And so the first few months were a little bit rough and then um yeah, I just said, you know what? I'm going to stick with the guys. And I remember, you know, a handful of the disciples who was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and street preach. I remember again, like yesterday, the first time I street preached. And I think that, I think there are those, those steps of faith that you take that, that help you to shed some things. And I think I went ahead and just jumped in and said, okay, I'm going to go street preach. And when you do that, there's something that happens in your spirit. Oh yeah. And it's like, that just a boldness to overcome. I remember street preaching right there in front of the in and out on uh, whatever baseline and safely. Remember that was the spot for a time and uh, yeah, street preaching. I didn't have a clue what I said. And uh, yeah. And then so I'm pretty sure I you know, was just there. Step by step started making some choices. Yeah. Yeah. You were, well, you were the one that was, you, you really cut, you pushed it on me. You're like, here, grab the mic. I'm like, I don't want that. And you like it was a bullhorn. You put it in my hand. You're just like, go. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna be a sissy. I guess I'll just start yelling at these people. You're all going to hell. No, I don't. I don't think I that. I get, but um, and then I don't remember. Were you the one that led Gorilla Team mm-hmm. during that time? It would have been 2005. Yeah. So, and I think I think you started pulling on me to go to Gorilla Team, and every Saturday I went on Gorilla Team. Dude, and those were some really Holy Ghost times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And remember, we had we had a good amount of churches over in California. We were constantly going to California, and, and that was great for me. You know, it kept me out of trouble, and, and then, yeah, just tons of fellowship. That was a time when we'd be up all night playing spades and doing all kinds of, you know, just crazy, crazy, Christian craziness. And it kept me out of, it kept me out of trouble. And so, but... I mean, you know, I, I was a real work in progress still, um, but it was, I had, a, I had a lot that needed to be worked on. And so I'm glad people were real gracious with me. And I, about, I probably was a difficult, go ahead. Uh, I'm curious um, how, how it played out in your family, because, you know, for your, your parents to kick you out when you were living the sinful life, um, how was it? Uh, describe what it took for you to make amends with family members. Well, so because we're a real tight knit family, um, my parents are maybe to a fault a little bit, uh, real forgiving. And when it comes to family and so uh, my brother and older sister, nobody, none of us were living for God during that time that, you know, and my, my dad will preach it and has said it during that black hole experience. Uh, none of us were serving God. And so I was the first one that, that had gotten back into church. And then Shannon. So at that time, I was living with Shannon. Uh, my That's my older sister. My older brother was backslidden. And uh, my younger sister was backslidden. And um, so I was living with my older sister. And I started, like, going to prayer in the mornings and going on outreach. And you know, a lot of people made this statement like, wow, what an amazing change God has done in your life. And, and he did. I mean, 
it, it was a night and day difference. I, I mean, I was one of those guys, I had no character at all. And, you know, now all of a sudden I'm, I'm doing what's right. I went and got a job. I'm being responsible and paying my tithe, things like that. And so my older sister saw a huge change. If you'd like to hear the rest of this sermon, subscribe today. It's only $3 a month when you subscribe at supercast.tech or $4.99 per month when subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Links are in the show notes. We thank you for joining us on this special preview of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.